this about the faith and about the opportunities of the faith and how we can all be rich. We can all be spiritually rich. We can all be emotionally rich. We can all be life rich. We may not have any money, but we can be rich in the ways that matter the most. And Paul is convinced of that in spite of the fact that his personal circumstances are as bad, about as bad as anybody, anybody's could get, right? We wouldn't want to trade places with him, would we? Chained to a Roman soldier, not able to live, uh, leave the uh, house that he was staying in, and waiting to find out whether he would be executed or not. Yet, there's so many great lessons. I went back and I, I looked at some of the, uh, the notes from the previous lessons. So many things we've learned about how to be rich. And I would remind you of some of those. I don't expect you to remember all of them. Uh, I didn't. That's why I had to go look them up. But uh, some of the things that we discussed in this series about how to be rich. We can be rich if we let God into our hearts. Not just into our life, but into our hearts. We can be rich if we know and understand the love of God. If we embrace the grace of God, we can be rich. We can be rich if we live out his purpose for our lives. We are God's workmanship, created to do good works, and that we're actually fulfilled when we have something to do. We're not just all sitting around twiddling our thumbs. Do you know what that is, twiddling your thumbs? It's a, it's a southern thing. Tom McCurry knows. Adam McCurry knows, right? My, I wouldn't know, but again, Jeff, it was my mother that taught me that. She was such a compassionate woman. I would frequently go to her when I was a young man. Again, this is not in my notes, in case you were wondering. Uh, I, would get, I would go to my mother when I was a young man, and I would frequently tell her that, that I was very bored, and would she please find something interesting for me to do? This was, of course, before there was video games uh, and uh, personal computers. But anyway, uh, and so she was such a compassionate woman. She says, well, I'll tell you what you can do, Reese. You can go sit in the corner and twiddle your thumbs. <laughs> this was her answer. And uh, I think that meant that she really wasn't concerned. Uh, <laughs> about my lack of excitement or my relative lack of excitement with my life. But anyway, so all you parents, this is good enough parenting right here. Put this down. You know, the, the, reg, the class starts at 2 o'clock today, but you're getting a head start right now. We talked about being rich. We can be rich when we do life together. Remember that? We talked about the church, the beauty of the church. We can be rich when we let God transform us. We talked about the opportunity the Holy Spirit, God, works in our heart, our lives, changes our character, changes who we are from the inside. We can be rich. We can be rich in our marriage. Talk about God's plan for marriage, God's plan for parenting. We talked about uh, even in our work, in our careers, our jobs. Uh, we can be rich and have a great experience. No matter how much money we are or aren't making, uh, that can be rich. And then we, sort of as we got to the end here, the last... Several weeks, we talked about how we can be rich because we can overcome evil. You know, when we see what we just saw there, reminder of uh, what happened, and some of you are probably like me, I don't know that I've seen that footage from 2001, from 9-11, since 9-11-2001. In other words, since that time. But, uh, you know, it's such a graphic picture of 
the power of evil in this world that we live in. And certainly we see it in the headlines, we read it on the news, and we feel it in our own hearts, don't we? The temptations of sin, Satan, working in our lives, he wants to destroy us. Yet we can be rich because God has provided the armor of Christ. We can be soldiers of Christ, we can overcome. And so here we come to the very end and to the last words of Paul's letter. One of the other unusual things about this letter is that even though he knows these people in Ephesus very well, it's been pretty obvious so far that there's been nothing particularly personal about what he has said to them. In a lot of Paul's letters, there's a part where he's just talking about God and the greatness of God and God's plan for us and God's will for us, and he's doing that in this letter. But then there's also large sections where he makes reference to people he knows in that particular city that he's writing to or that particular church, and it's very personal. So far, there's been none of that in this whole letter of Ephesians. But today, finally, as we finish out the letter, the last part of the letter... Paul is going to get much more personal. And for the first time in this letter, he's going to share sort of uh, things on his heart, things on his mind, things that are more personal. Now let me ask you this to consider before we read what he writes. Because to me, this last part is perhaps the most astounding part of the whole letter is this last part of Ephesians. And to me, it's really the perfect ending for us to understand how to be rich in our lives. So you're Paul. I want to imagine this before we read it. You're Paul, and you're finally deciding you to get personal, and you're going to share some things, some personal things with your friends there in the church in Ephesus. You're sitting in prison. You're under house arrest is, is, is a better way to say it. You're chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day. I think they were probably rotating those guys through every 4 to 8 to 12 hours. At least I hope so. I feel bad for the, the, if there was one guy that was just chained to him the whole time. But they're rotating these Roman guards. We, we have reason to believe that. And you're waiting to find out if you're going to be executed or not. So you're Paul. What do you got on your mind? What do you got on your heart? What are you going to write about? Right? Let's read what he has to say. And then we'll have some, uh, we'll have some discussion. Starting in verse 18. We finished up last week, chapter 6. The armor of God. The opportunity to overcome evil. He continues, but then he transitions. Verse 18. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me 
so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am in chains, an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Anything here uh, surprise you about what Paul writes? He's finally getting personal, isn't he? He's talking about some prayer requests that he has. He's talking about this guy Tychicus, who's a good friend of his. Tychicus appears several different times in the letters of Paul. Probably his closest friend that he had in close relationship, probably except for Timothy. And so he's written this letter, and he's sending Tychicus with this letter, and he's sending them to the church in Ephesus. He's already mentioned the context of the situation he's in. So what do you learn from Paul's last words, Paul's personal words to the church here in Ephesus? Tom McCurry? More concerned about them than he is about himself. Very good. Anybody else? Can't see over here. Is that Derek? Is that Derek? Well, if it's Derek, then you can go ahead and share. He has nothing to say about the possibility of his being executed. Remarkable. Sarah. So focused on others. You know, I think I would have been asking for some different things in my prayer request. Do you know what I'm saying? Paul Blakely, Sr.? Yeah, he's not complaining at all. In fact, if we could imagine it, he seems excited about it. He's an, he says, I'm an ambassador in chains. I am an ambassador is a, is a, is a position of honor. In a, do we have any ambassadors in here? Even to small foreign countries. No, there's very few. An ambassador is a special position. You've been chosen to represent somebody. And in that sense, we would think to represent the United States, another country. What would it to be an ambassador? To represent God? What an honor, what a privilege. He doesn't seem to be upset about it. 
Do you see a lot of anger? See a lot of bitterness? You know, Paul has been a follower of Jesus now for over 30 years. He started churches all over the world. He suffered a lot. This is just the latest chapter. How many years do you have to suffer for Christ before you get a little tired of it? Do you know what I'm saying? Mary Kay? Excellent point. A lot of times, Mary Kay's reminding us, when things are going, when there's tough things going on in our life, we assume that God is angry with us. We assume that he's punishing us. We assume that we've done something wrong. Paul's not concerned about that. Because in my mind, it's like, well, you know, how could I suffer for doing right? Yet, clearly he sees to understand something that we need to understand. That just because you're suffering for your faith even, it's not a sign that God is punishing you or that you've done something wrong. Maybe it's an opportunity for growth. Maybe it's an opportunity for a ministry you would not have otherwise had. I mean, after all, who was going to preach to those Roman soldiers? You know, when I, those Roman soldiers, you know, I got to thinking about this, uh, preparing this lesson. The, the guys that were, you know, they came in every few hours and they were chained to Paul. I wonder who they thought was chained to who. You know what I'm saying? I'm wondering, because I'm thinking, if they were not excited about hearing about the gospel of Jesus, they were not looking forward to work that day. They were like, really? Do you have to chain me to them? Can I just guard? Can I just sit outside the door in the yard? Make sure that Paul doesn't leave. On the other hand, you get a different impression from Paul, right? He's like, come on over. Yeah. Okay, new shift. Great. I'm sorry. I haven't met you before. Albert, I think we're going to have a great time for the next four hours. Is that your name, Albert? That's great. And who's coming after you, Albert? Steve's coming? I don't know Steve either. I'll look forward to spending about four to eight hours with Steve. Maybe even he's working a 12-hour shift. <laughs> so let me come in for a landing. This has been a great discussion. Thank you for contributing here. I think this is the perfect ending to this letter that we can learn so much about how to be rich. You can be rich if you have been set free from the prison of self. All these comments in one way or another get back to the fact that Paul was not focused on his situation, on himself, what was going on with him, his pain, or his suffering. It was about God. It was about other people. See, a lot of us here, Paul wore... Some physical chains. But you know, he had been set free. His soul was free. His heart was free. His spirit was free. You couldn't chain that up. You couldn't imprison that.
Yet some of us who are not in that tough a situation physically, the sad truth is we are prisoners of ourselves. We're living in a little box, and it's a little cell of our own that we have created. We are prisoners of ourself, and we're stuck in there, and we can't commute, we can't get out of there, it seems. We haven't decided to, we, we've decided to live there. And let me tell you, it is a miserable experience. One of the things, it doesn't necessarily seem obvious. But Luke quotes Jesus in the book of Acts. He says, as our blessed Lord said, it is more as our Lord said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Have you figured that out about life yet? Yes. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. In other words, the way to get the most out of life, the way to receive the most, is to give the most. Have you figured that out yet? When you're going through life and it's all about you, it's all about your needs, it's all about what you don't have, or what you want, or what you don't want. You're going to be miserable. You're going to be empty. It seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? It's a paradox. The more you focus on God, the more you focus on other people, the more blessed that you're going to be. If you want to be rich in Christ, you need to be a giver and not a taker. You know, uh, one of the things that you've heard me say if you've been here before, and certainly if you, even if you've been here during this series, concerning God, it's not about what God wants from you, it's about what God wants for you. Do you remember me saying that before? Do you believe that's true? Now let me just take that one step further. And hopefully you will embrace that. Hopefully you will understand that. That in Christ, it's not about what God's wanting from you. It's about what he wants for you. He wants to bless you. He wants to do great things in your life. He wants to give you quality of life. He wants to save your soul. He wants you to go to heaven. He wants you to have the best possible life now and a perfect life in eternity. But let's take that one step further. So we need to go a little further. If we are made in the image of God, and if we are called to be like God, then shouldn't our attitude about life, when it comes to God or to other people, it's not about what I want from you, it's about what I want for you. But yet we sometimes treat God like he's the great ATM in the sky. He starts out talking about prayer here. Let me suggest to you, there's some powerful lessons. There's a lot in the Bible about prayer. And so it seems I don't have time to do all of that today. But perhaps even some of us who've been Christians for many years have not yet figured out 
that the purpose of prayer and the primary reason to pray is not to see what you can get from God. Are you hearing me? Do I need to say that again? Marlon, I knew you needed to hear that one more time. Thank you for asking. The primary purpose of prayer is not to see what you can get from God. Now, that's not to mean that we shouldn't have prayer requests and we shouldn't depend on God, you know, to meet the needs in our life. But perhaps the purpose, the primary purpose of prayer is to commune and connect with God. To take the time to meditate and to think about and to praise Him for His greatness and to thank Him for what He has given you. So that your heart can be moved to speak with Him honestly, to have an intimate, personal relationship with Him. Do you know one of the best scriptures about prayer in all the Bible is in Matthew 6, and we won't turn over today. And he's, he's in that section there. It's the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking about prayer, and he's telling these Jews who are very religious, been praying for a long time. He says, there's a lot of stuff about prayer that you, you got on wrong. He says, don't think that you're going to be heard because of your many words. Remember that part? Don't keep, keep on babbling on as if you're going to be heard for many words. He says... Besides the fact, God already knows what you need before you ask him. You ever read that before? Go look it up. Matthew chapter 6. Say, where is it? Well, I don't know right now. But if you keep reading in Matthew 6, you'll find it. It's about halfway through. It's right before the part where he talks about the Lord's Prayer. So, why, if God already knows what we need, then why do we pray? Well, I just told you a minute ago. Were you listening? That's why it says when he says, here's how you pray. He starts the Lord's Prayer. He says, and by the way, the Lord's Prayer was not intended to be something that we would memorize and recite verbatim. Boy, I had a great prayer time today. Our Father in heaven, who our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. It's a, it's a, it's a pattern of prayer. It's a, it's a focus of prayer. It's the principles of prayer. But how does he start? We start focusing on God. God is our Father. God is holy. God deserves to be worshipped. God is to be revered. And what comes right after that? He says, my next prayer is, Whatever your will is, God, in heaven and on earth, I pray that it be done, and I want it to be done, and that's my heart. And then he gets to give us our daily bread. You know, it says here, pray in the spirit. What does that mean, pray in the spirit? I think it just simply means the purpose of our time to be with God and to pray is to commune and to come to have and understand who God is and what God is, His will is for our lives. To pray in the Spirit means to acknowledge that God is God and I am not, and I want to do His will, and whatever He wants, that's what I want. You know, the longest prayer in the Bible was Jesus, 
in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? You know why it was such a long prayer? Because he didn't want to die. And he knew that God's will was that he go to the cross, but he didn't want to go to the cross, and he was willing to spend all night wrestling in prayer just so he could align himself with the will of God. That's why sometimes we need to have really long prayer times. But some days, you know, let me just encourage you, do not measure your spirituality by how long your prayer is. When you're doing well spiritually and you're in tune with God and you know God's will and you're excited about doing God's will and you're in line with God's will and you're willing to do God's will, then you may not need to have a long prayer. I'm not saying you didn't need to pray. Pray in the Spirit. All kinds of, all occasions, all kinds of prayers. And who for? What are we praying for? All the saints. Do you see that? It's about time for me to close out. That was me staring at the clock on the back of the wall. Let me just close out this way. Your prayers and your prayer life tells you who you really are. Now God already knows who you really are. Right? He doesn't need to be informed. Your prayer life tells, God, tells you who you really are. If you don't have time to pray, and if you don't concern yourself to pray, and praise for God, and thanks for God, and all of that stuff is not important to me, what that tells you about you is... You are arrogant and you are prideful. I'm not trying to be mean. I just don't know any other way to describe it. And then when you do pray, how much of your prayers are about you? About your life, about your needs, about your wants, about your desires? If most of your prayers are centered around you, you know what that makes you? Selfish, thank you very much. It is entirely possible to be a card-carrying member of the Church of Christ, baptized and forgiven, possessing and living in the Holy, and having the Holy Spirit, and still be living a selfish, arrogant life. And nothing, your prayer life is going to tell you about who you are more than any other thing else that you do. He finally makes a prayer request. It's not the prayer request you would think it would be, was it? Number one on my list would be, could you please pray that I not be executed? I would really appreciate that. I would like to not be executed. I might have some other prayer requests. The food is not very good here. Can you please provide a better meals for me? Um, you know, I'm not getting much exercise. Could I please have an elliptical cross-training machine that I could enjoy? 
We can think about a lot of stuff. And you know, God, I've got a, please pray, I've got a bad case of insomnia. It's funny, isn't it, Janet? I know. We're, we're having fun at church today. I appreciate that. But, you know, I got a bad case of insomnia because you ever try to sleep chained to a Roman soldier? You know, I'm hoping they had a double bed or something, or, a, or at least a queen size. It's very difficult to sleep when this could... I mean, I would think of all these things that I would like to pray about. But what's the only thing he cares about? This is where you see, this is a man who is no longer a prisoner himself. He says, I just got one thing I want you to pray. Just pray that when I share my faith, that I proclaim the word of God fearlessly. And he says it twice. And you can understand why he'd need that prayer, wouldn't you? Because he was on trial. I mean, he's going on trial for his faith. His life was in danger because of his faith. It would be attempted to say, you know, this is not the best time to be sharing my faith. Right? I mean, and I kind of low-key it, but no, you know, he's got, I don't know how many different people he got to share with every day. I mean, maybe some of his friends were bringing people over to study the Bible with him, but that poor soldier that was chained to him, he was going to hear the gospel every day. He says, that's all I care about. You know what Paul had done? He had aligned himself with the heart and the will of God because God wants souls to be saved. God wants the most souls to be saved. It's the lesson of 9-11. The value of every soul. The urgency of our message. The opportunity and the need to get the word out before it's too late. Perhaps it's not all about getting what you want. Let me just mention one more thing here. You know, I mentioned earlier briefly the, uh, the Malachi challenge. From Malachi 3, we sermon last Sunday, if you were here. Wednesday night service, if you were here. We talked about it. I'm excited about giving more. Mary Kay and I have decided to give more. Not because we weren't... Well, I don't, let's not make it about me. We decided to give more. I'll just say, leave it that way. But here's the thing. I'm excited to give more. Not because I'm counting on more blessings from God. Are you following me here? I want to give more because I think it'll be more pleasing to God. I want to give more because I think it'll be more people have the opportunity to be served and to know Jesus and to be saved. Now, I do believe in the promise of God, and I do believe that I'm going to be blessed, and I've been blessed already, and I believe I'll be blessed even more the more I sacrifice, the more I get. But that is not why I am giving. I'm not giving just in order to get. I don't really care if I get any more. Knowing God, he'll probably open up those floodgates. Knowing him, but you know, I don't need any more than I've already got. I am blessed, and I know a lot of you feel the same way. I'm not going to give more to get more. And let me just encourage you to do the same. So here's the last challenge. I've got an assignment for you. This is a little exercise that I hope will help you. 
just for the next week. When you pray, I only want you to pray praise for God, thanks for God, or pray for other people. For a whole week, maybe we could have a fast from ourselves. <laughs> Not, then you can go back. I know you need to pray for yourself. But just for the next week, try it. Pray and praise God and give thanks to God and pray for other people. And maybe somebody else will pray for you. Nuri Kaiwa is going to come up and share her conversion story. We close out today. Yeah.